When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Manchester United are through in the FA Cup after a 1-0 win against Watford. In truth, it was a game defined only by its noticeable averageness and the fact that a boyhood Manchester United fan captained a side with six academy graduates in it. That is certainly a positive. Welcome to Series 6, Episode 20 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. We're talking the Watford game, Donny van der Beek, McTominay, but also City. United were beaten for the second consecutive year by Man City in the semi-finals of the EFL Cup and that that is a great shame. So we'll be reviewing both of those games before a comprehensive youth loan and women's roundup, which includes some analysis of Ethan Laird's future and then previewing United's Tuesday night game against Burnley in the Premier League, a chance to go top of the Premier League. Jack, that Tuesday night game brings some excitement to it. Uh, excitement was not the word that you would immediately, um, that would immediately come to mind after the game against Watford on Saturday. There's not a huge amount worth saying about it, Um it, we, we got the job done and we rested Bruno Fernandes and that will kind of do. It's a game that will be completely forgotten by the end of the month. Yeah, not not a game worth writing home about, really. A game of really just very, very dull. It was, it was rare for an FA Cup game with so much at stake and so much on the line in a sort of knockout situation for an FA Cup game to be that dull, especially with no replays now. There, you know, there was sort of no reason for both teams to be so lethargic I guess other than the fact that it's just a very congested fixture list at the moment even though we had rotated uh, a lot of our starters it was was one of the most boring games I think I've watched it in quite a while we've got used to watching pretty entertaining Man United games recently even when United aren't at their best but this really was just something that that could put you to sleep ultimately we got the job done which is the most important thing Um, you know got that early lead and you sort of expected us to run away with it a little bit uh, against sort of lower league opposition, not that Watford are, are a terrible team, but against sort of lower league opposition, you expect you to have a bit of a difficult day. But if you can get that early goal, then you often sort of yeah. just run away, run away with it, as we did against Tranmere um, last year. 
<clears throat> that didn't happen against Watford, which was a bit of a, a shock. Not a performance really that I think we'll take that much heart from, but as I said, we got the job done and really in this sort of banana skin tyres, that's all you can ask for. And I think it was a win that we desperately needed after a disappointing semi-final defeat yet yeah. again. Yeah, it was disappointing not to to run away with it. It was that weird fixture you get in the FA Cup when it's a Premier League team against a championship, particularly a big Premier League team, where the, the big side is good enough that they can rest a lot of players and bring in kind of a second team and the championship team is bad enough that they can allow the Premier League team to do that without um, at, without the, the big side slipping up, but not bad enough that the big Premier League team can run away with it. And that kind of makes for quite a boring, boring game. Um, and yeah, it, it was quite boring. A few things to, to take away from it. Before we talk about Donny van der Beek, who got his ninth start for United um, and probably his longest appearance for United. Uh, Alex Tellers made more chances than anyone else. Some great set piece deliveries from him. And on the on the subject of set pieces, there was some creativity from corners. McTominay's header put United in front and it was a, a good header and a good movement from the set piece and a great cross from Tellers. But then there was a great chance for Eric Bailly as well. And there were a couple more corners that created chances for United and there was you could see three or four different routines being used against Watford and that was certainly a positive sign so there were positives and um, there are positives to take away but it just was a forgettable game uh, we'll talk about Van der Beek in a second yeah it was it was nice to see Tellers having one of his better performances we spoke briefly about him in the last episode that he he hasn't really offered everything that I think we hoped he would so far but this was by far his best performance I think since probably his debut against PSG where he played well in a back five he was very good down the left and I think it showed that it, it was a game that afforded us opportunities that we just kind of didn't really take because he did have quite a lot of space down the left at times his set piece delivery was very good obviously when we got the goal from by he had another chance as well that probably should have gone in on, on another day this was a positive performance from him I th- it's important I think for us that he provides that competition to Shaw, which he hasn't really done to the extent that we wanted him to so far. But yeah, really, I think the the big story for, from the day was was Donny van der Beek, who put in, one uh, yet again, another decent performance, as he has done, to be fair, pretty much every time he's been given that opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Let's go to van der Beek. And the, the, the moment of the game, really, just apart from um, McTominay's goal, was the backheel flick. So Greenwood's first time pass into Van der Beek and then a backheel flick into Juan Mata's path. And Mata um, draws the save from the, the Watford keeper, but really should have scored. And it, it would have made for a brilliant goal. And, and the flick was a a moment of magic, um, a delicate flick, which kind of demonstrated in, in equal quantities, technical ability, spatial awareness, intelligence on the pitch, creativity and a, a joy that Van der Beek brings to his game. It was only one flick and it it, it didn't even result in a goal, but I, I thought it did kind of kind of sum him up. Um and and Van der Beek got his chance in, in this ninth start for United. And it, we kind of we're we're learning more about him the more we see him. Um, although we haven't been able to see very much. And for me, he's basically a, a player who has that that magic touch that Bruno Fernandez also offers. But Van der Beek gives it in a, a more efficient manner. He'll do one great flick per game. Fernandez will try eight and complete four. So ultimately you get more from Bruno Fernandez, um, but he loses possession more. And, and the stats show that, which I can talk about in a bit, but 
Van der Beek played in a in a two man midfield against Watford. What did you make of that? Because yeah, I, I I see him very much as a number ten and not as an option in a in a two man midfield. And it, this was against Watford, and they were a team who didn't capitalise on the space that Van der Beek left behind him. He left McTominay isolated a couple of times, especially early on against Ismail Assar. And for me, he's a number ten and a, a really good one, um, but not a, a two man midfield. Yeah, he's definitely not someone that should be playing in a two-man midfield. I think the, probably the deepest that he could play, I think he could probably play in that position that Pogba has been playing in recently in a 4-3-3 as one of the three in that midfield. I think yeah. that would work and isn't a problem. I, I think his best position is undoubtedly as a 10. And I can see why he's often put into that position in a two-man midfield against sort of teams that you don't expect to be attacking us that much because... He isn't the sort of number 10 like Bruno Fernandes who's going to give the ball away a lot. He is much more efficient and so it seems like he could be better suited to playing a bit deeper because he's at least not going to give the ball away too often. But I think, yeah, just defensively, the the awareness and the positional understanding just wasn't really there for Van der Baker. And and that's to be expected. You know, that's not really a criticism of him. just not his position. It's not a a sort of skill set that he's ever really had to develop. I don't think that should be where we're playing. It's certainly not, even if he can put in good performances, they're certainly not where he's at his best. You know, he's at his best doing exactly what he did with that flick through to Mata in the box, in and around uh, the box. That is sort of where he is most dangerous. But I think it's a positive that what we've seen from him, it's a tough one because you you can completely sympathise with Solskjaer in that he doesn't want to take Bruno Fernandes out of that number 10 position because why would you, you know, Fernandes is by far United's best player. He is our talisman. Why would you want to do anything that sort of puts Bruno in a suboptimal position on, on, on the pitch? But at the same time, it is just, it's almost a bit tantalising at times just how good some of the things are that we've seen from Van der Beek. He, he reminds me a lot actually of a younger Juan Mata. They're yeah. very similar players in sort of what Mata did at, at Chelsea in his first years at, at United. I think Van der Beek is a little bit more creative than Mata. I think Mata was creative purely because he had just great quality and you know he, he could play whatever pass he saw. I actually think Van der Beek is, is slightly better at sort of making something out of nothing like that flick again is sort of the perfect example of that. But I think he does have a lot to offer us and I I think there there is a lot to gain from us potentially trying to get Van der Beek and Fernandez on the pitch together, yeah. um, which I think we've only seen like once this season. Um, I can't remember what game it was. Yeah, it is a difficult one. There's definitely a, a conundrum there that Solskjaer has to solve and it, it's not an easy one. And you're right, you don't want to take Bruin out of the team. I think the problem is that Van der Beek needs time to... The, the, I almost get the sense watching him that as much as Van der Beek needs time to adjust to United and to his teammates, United and the rest of the United squad need time to adjust to playing with Van der Beek because he's, he's a different player to the the other ones in the team. He's very different to, to Bruno Fernandes. He's very different to Pogba. He's different to McTominay. He's got, I mean, what are his qualities? He's he's got the that quickness of thought, the tempo to his game, but particularly he's got this brilliant awareness yeah. of what's around him. He's always scanning looking over his shoulder and, and that means he's never caught in the uh, behind his marker like McTominay often is which is something we spoke about last week and it also so he's always an option to pass to he's always a route through the opposition but it also means that when he receives the ball he doesn't have to look when he receives it um, he knows where everyone is already because he's been looking over his shoulder and scanning and knows what's around him and you you, you look at the the chance the, the flick and the, the chance he made for Mata as Greenwood passes him the ball, at no point does Van der Beek look over his shoulder. 
but he still plays the back heel to Mata's run because he knows that's where Mata's going. They've both got that. You're right. They are similar in that. So they've both got that incredible football yeah. intelligence. And that, that does mean it is a, a tantalizing prospect, as you say. And it's definitely one I think is, is worth working hard. There, there's a bit of me that thinks you mentioned um, Van der Beek could play that pub role. There's a bit of me that thinks perhaps Solskjaer is planning for next season and kind of preparing Van der Beek for next season rather than this and and perhaps sees a future United midfield, a future three-man midfield for United with, I, I guess, a, a long-term Matic replacement as the, the main defensive midfielder, one of Motomane and Fred yeah. and Van der Beek. Um, and then Fernandez playing in front of that with Rashford and Martial, Cavani and Greenwood, two of those players up front. And I, I wouldn't be so opposed to that. I, I mean, the balance of that midfield sure, looks, looks and sounds like pretty much spot on, really. It's just whether those sort of Van der Beek can adjust to, to playing that more withdrawn mm. role. I think what he's best at is playing in on the edge of and inside the box playing off his teammates like he did with he received it from Greenwood flicked it to matter whether it's a one-two with the same player or linking up the midfield and, and the strikers I think he's best in in that final third which is very different to Bruno who's kind of does everything all over the pitch and and runs around like a Duracell bunny passing with the outside of his boot doing huge passes and just d- doing anything he can on the ball um and, and Fernandez has many more touches per game than Van der Beek. He also makes um, about thirty percent more passes each game than than Van der Beek does. And I think Van der Beek really comes into his own just within the five yards of the eighteen yard box, um, which is different to Fernandez, who's kind of that that high risk, high reward game all over the all over the pitch. Um, so they yeah. they are different different players. Uh- Go on. I, I think what I what I love about what Van der Beek brings to our team is that even even when Fernandez is at his best, I think the one the one thing that we sometimes become, especially when we're playing against uh, teams that aren't allowing us to counterattack very easily, is that we can move the ball quite slowly. And you've seen that at times throughout the season. Even when Fernandez is, is playing really really well, you know a lot of the things that he creates are, are from quite slow moving attacks. And he's good enough that even in those situations he can still pick out you know wonderful passes to create chances from that. But what I love about Van der Beek is that even when he's doing simple things, everything is done quickly. You know, when you're a kid learning to play football, the big thing you're always told is everything should be one or two touch, and having to take that sort of extra third or fourth touch to get the ball under control. Is, is is deadly in high level football, and Van der Beek is so good technically. He, everything he does is one or two touches all the time, and I think that is what he brings us. I, I'd urge anyone who sort of wants to see the value of of what Van der Beek could bring to our team to go back, and this is really stuck in my in my head all season. To go back and watch the last ten minutes of our game away at Newcastle mm, earlier this yeah. season, when it was one one, Van der Beek comes on. I think around the the seventy seventh, seventy eighth minute, something like that, and just the difference straight away when he came on. The entire game, we'd been struggling against Newcastle from either failed counter-attacks, we didn't have enough precision, or just sort of slow, lethargic attacks, unable to break them down when they were sitting back defensively. And as soon as Van der Beek came on in midfield, we were just creating so many, so much more space because he was moving the ball quickly. And there was one goal in particular, I think it might have been the second or third goal that we scored, where there's a bit of interplay between him and someone else down the right. And it sets Rashford away 
And it's just, that is a perfect example of what he brings to us because he, he brings us that combination of good technical ability, doesn't give the ball away, but also moves the ball a lot quicker and gives us that urgency in midfield, which despite the fact that our midfield has improved a lot, you know, we are still lacking that ability to move the ball quickly up the pitch and to create space simply by the, our ball movement rather than relying on Fernandes to make space for us by, you know, putting in an unreal 50-yard pass or whatever. Yeah. And, it, and, and look, Van der Beek doesn't create as much as Fernandes does. And I, I think no. even Van der Beek at his very best wouldn't create the number of chances that Fernandes does. But there is a space for both of those type of players. And it's it's an interesting one it's because the beauty of having Fernandez, it takes that yeah. it takes that need for everyone else to create five chances a game away. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's an interesting one to think about, and you, it, it, it's quite hard to plan United's or, or to think about what United midfield will look like going forward because we don't know about Paul Pogba's future yet. And I think you kind of have to assume that you're planning to not have Pogba, but the idea of of a Van der Beek. Um, perhaps on on the right side of, of midfield three, Pobre on the left side, Fernandez at, at the tip of what would become a diamond, and then a really really good signing, yeah, to sit in that deep midfield position, who can screen in front of the defence is a a really exciting one, and I I can't see it happening for a number of reasons, um, which we don't need to go into now, but it, it is a, a a possibility, so. Basically, I think we, and there's another thing to say is that Van der Beek didn't set the world on fire against Watford. He, he didn't have an amazing game. He was one of the slightly better out of a very average bunch. But this, I think what we're saying is the signs are there of a very good and useful player for the club rather than we saw an amazing performance. Yeah, exactly. I, there, there was no one on the, on the pitch, Van der Beek included, who comes out of that game with too much credit in the bank but at the end of the day what he showed I think is an ability that shouldn't be ignored and even in those little patches where he did do some things that you just think about like that's something that we really need that that shouldn't be ignored and it's not the first time that he's happened you know it'd be different if this is the first sort of positive glimpse of Van der Beek that we've seen but it's not you know really every time he's been given opportunities in what has been a frustrating first sort of six months at, at United every time he's been given an opportunity, he's impressed. And I think that there's something to be said for someone who can come in and even in sort of small sporadic doses, still put in positive performances and still leave you sort of wanting more and wanting to see more. Yeah. I, I think he deserves more of a chance. I know that he he's in an unfortunate position in that his style, I don't think meshes perfectly, as, as you're kind of saying, meshes perfectly with United at, at the moment in that, United need to get used to him and he needs to get used to United and there needs to be some sort of marrying up of, of the two. So I think he's a little bit unfortunate, one in that sense, but also that, you know, he plays in the position where by far our best player and sort of yeah. the only undroppable um, United player plays. So he is going to yeah. be limited opportunities, but I think I think it's on, it's up to the coaching staff and Van der Beek now, I think, to figure out where you can get him into that team how he might have to change his game, how the coaching staff can help him change his game. Because I think, at least personally, it's got to a point where I've seen enough good things from Van der Beek that I think keeping him with this small of a role it, it is wasted. It's wasted opportunities for him yeah. and it's wasted opportunities for the club because he's shown enough that he, he should be, or we should be, sorry, sort of doing things and making changes to get him into that team and see how, how that works. Yeah. 
He is he's very much a luxury player. But United are at the point in our progression towards being a title challenging team where we need to start being able to play with a, a real squad. And I think that's something we we've begun to do this season. But there are still a few positions where we we're too reliant on individual figures to mould our style of play rather than um, being kind of the team always playing in the same way and being able to take players in and out and, and have the same style of play, which is certainly something we saw in Fernandez's absence against Watford. Yeah, I think this United team, I think for too long has been a team of, of pretty much individuals. And even when we have had some good spells, it has often been relying on brilliant individual performances or moments. And that's what's been so great actually about the last month or so is that we are starting to become more cohesive. You see the team working more as a unit rather than sort of as a collection of individuals. And again, it's up to both the coaching staff and Van der Beek and the other players, to be fair, to figure out how individual players can sort of be moulded into whatever role that you want. I, I, long term, I think you're right that the the best case scenario, I think, for Van, for Van der Beek is to be in that sort of third midfield role in a midfield three with Fernandez and then two of our forwards ahead of them. Because I think that is where you get the, you probably get the best out of Van der Beek possible without compromising anything from Fernandez. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, really what we have to focus on in that you 100% want to maximise everything that Fernandez brings yeah. to our team. But you also, you want to, while, while still doing that, you want to maximise as much as you can what Van der Beek has. And I think we all can kind of accept maybe Van der Beek not being in his perfect position if it means that Fernandez is in his yeah, perfect position. So. But we need to also then find a role that Van der Beek can still thrive and, and be able to show his quality. And I think that third midfield role in a 4-3-3 or in a diamond is probably where that's going to happen yeah. the best. Yeah, it's an interesting one to keep an eye on. Um, maybe there's some more discussion to be had about a possible 4-3-1-2 because it, it would leave United without some of the stuff that makes them good at the moment, which is width and pace on the counter-attack. Um, but it would create a, a slightly different team. Um, we, we'll talk about the City game a bit. Uh, second, well, four semi-final defeats in a row now. The second consecutive year we've gone out to City in the League Cup semi-finals. It was disappointing. Um, and it, it's only 90 minutes, this one. But I think we're, we're just getting beyond the point of taking the positives out of reaching semi-finals. And now, if, I think if another one happens, you have to start looking at, at why we're not getting through them. The truth is that we came up against a, a pretty good City side who were playing um, near their best and we had to step it up and instead it was probably the worst performance of, of the month. It wasn't that bad, but it lacked fluency and quality and we looked desperate and, and rushed at times. Even from an early stage, we looked like we were rushing it to try and find a way back into the game. And even Bruno Fernandes, who looked tired, looked hapless. Massively, massively disappointing. <clears throat> Coming out, I, th I think it was so, it was almost a difficult game to watch at times because you just saw this United team performing so far below our usual level. Yeah. And I think we've, I think we've all kind of been waiting for this performance for a while. At least personally, I have in that I expected us eventually the, 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 
sort of compressed fixture list to catch up with us and Fernandez to be very tired and have not a great performance as he did at times uh, sort of during the po- first post lockdown run last season but it was just so frustrating that it came in a semi-final against City at home when despite the fact that I thought City to be fair were, were pretty good and probably and definitely deserve to win over the, the, the course of the game they won unbeatable and we we had opportunities we had moments and got into positions where we we had the chance to to win that game and we just didn't take it it was a couple of mistakes for the goals I mean how we keep keep conceding set pieces to City over and over (laughs) again you know City are one of the most potent attacking teams this country has ever seen and the only goals we seem to concede to them from set pieces Um, but I think what was what was so frustrating to me I think the biggest thing you know, teams have bad games. It's not not the end of the world. I think what really disappointed me more than anything was how much we panicked after we went behind. Yeah. Definitely. You know, we went behind in, what was it, like the 50th, 55th minute, something like that. Um, that was pretty early in the, in the second half. And almost immediately we were playing as if it was 80, 80, 85 minutes, had to commit yeah. every single man forward every time we went ahead. You know, City could easily have scored three or four goals in the 10 minutes after they, they scored their first. And we got lucky with some good defending, to be fair, to counter some very bad situations that we left ourselves in and some poor City finishing. But really, I mean, we, we just massively panicked. And that, I think, that's what's disappointing because, you know, we've, this is our fourth semi final in a year now. You know, you can't just keep making excuses. This is an inexperienced team that w- that will learn at a certain point. You just have to say, like, well, you've been in this position enough now. You yeah. have to know how to deal with it. And there was no need to panic it was, like that. It's it's less. Um, I think there's fewer kind of negative conclusions to take away because it was a good city team, um, and so it doesn't make me panic about this team's inability to go through semi-finals. But there, yeah, there, there was that sense of we were rushing things. I guess the, the the positive spin on it is we didn't play well, and yet we only went out because we didn't defend set pieces very well. A couple of mistakes in that regard, and we didn't finish our chances from set pieces and and from open play. And so again, as we've said all throughout the last two months. It, it came down to the very fine margins and this time we came out on the wrong side of it. And so it is a positive compared to if you think about the game at Old Trafford last season where they just battered us, um, but also the, the Chelsea FA Cup semi-final from only six months or so ago. It, it was positive compared to that at least. Yeah, I mean, it was a massive step up from last year. And I think that's a sign both that, that City have regressed slightly, but also that we have got a lot better since then. And uh, so may, maybe you look at it and you say, well, you know, it's a sign of improvement and all that stuff. But again, I think at a certain point, you just have to stop accepting positives from games that you don't win. Yeah. And I think it's high time that, you know, it was time for this United team to prove that they are better and actually go one step further than another semi final. Again, I know that this team is inexperienced. I know that we have a lot of young players who will keep developing and 
you know, maybe we haven't been in this situation that many times before, but, and that was all true last season, but I don't think you can, you can keep saying that now. If you yeah. want to really progress, the way, the way you do that is you, you take these big opportunities and, and, and you, you run with them and you get to those finals, you win those trophies. That's ultimately what's going to be remembered. It's not that, you know, well, we played quite well and City only won because yeah. a couple of set pieces, you know, that is, it's not good enough at a certain point. And yeah, it just, I think going forward, especially, we just, we looked at, we ran out, ran out of ideas and exactly, we, we yeah. panicked so much. And it was just, it was just so, I think what was weird about it, it was so, and like sort of against everything that we've seen from this United team recently and that we have been so potent going forward and almost backed ourselves. Even if we conceded a couple of goals, we'd be able to come through. But I think the combination of, in fairness, some very, very, very good city defending. You know, Eric yeah. Garcia in particular was was brilliant, but also, sorry, not Eric Garcia, Ruben Diaz in particular was was brilliant, but also just some really, really poor United forward play. Yeah. The players we needed to step up were, had one of their worst days of, of the season, well, not of the season, but of, of, of the recent weeks in Fernandez, Rashford and Martial. Um, and yeah, I mean, they say no one remembers the finalists. Who who were beaten? No one remembers the runners up, but nobody remembers the beaten semi finalist. Um, and we will probably forget about this in in a couple of years' time as well. So yeah, one to move on from um, after the youth alone and women's roundup. We'll, we'll be forget about them about unless down. we uh, continue losing semi finals for the next like three or four <laughs> yeah. years, and then we'll remember every single one of them. Yeah, that's very true. Um, after the roundup, we'll be talking about Darren Fletcher, who has come back as a coach to United, and we'll be previewing Tuesday's game against Burnley. Seven academy players featured against Watford. Scott McTominay captained the side for the first time in the first half after joining the club at the age of five, which was brilliant. Elsewhere in the youth system, a few bits of news, the biggest of which is Ethan Laird's loan move to Milton Keynes Dons. The right back has finally got himself a loan move and a few people have asked for my thoughts on him and this move in particular. Well, it, it makes sense. Laird is a, a real talent, first of all, one who has been considered in the Mason Greenwood bracket by many who watched him for some years at youth level. He was signed by United as a kid for his physical attributes, mainly speed, uh, rather than anything technical. And he's admitted as much himself and spoken about how it took him a few years at the club to really develop the technical side of his game and kind of catch up with his teammates. He did so, especially in attack, where he is a, a great prospect. Laird is quick, direct, cuts through teams, and his strength and balance means he can run at people as well, um, take the ball either way and either cut inside into the box to create a chance, which he does a lot, or take it to the byline and cross. Um, he, he, he's a player who's impossible not to like when he's properly fit and therein lies the problem. Um, he struggled for fitness for the last two years. I think he could have made his first team debut as far back as September 2019. wan had just joined the club but picked up an injury. It looked like an obvious time for Laird to get a chance, but then he got injured too. There have been a few moments like that. You look at his history in the academy and last season, he played only 10 times in Premier League 2 due to injury. He did manage to get minutes in two games in the Europa League, which was great. And he was one of the most impressive in the trip to Astana last year. But in the 18-19 season, he only managed 16 games in total. You compare that to someone like Greenwood, obviously a different position, but a similar age and team Greenwood played 30 times in that season almost double led and last season Greenwood obviously in first team and played 50 times it's a huge difference so what does Laird need? A consistent few months without injury. Performance will be important, yes, but not getting injured will really be the key. He's had to build up some strength in a hamstring, which got injured. And during lockdown, he spent a lot of time in the gym. And so that will help with his bodily strength as well. 
Now, Laird has gone on loan to MK Dons, a League One side. It's a good move. He'll get game time at a decent level. But as I say, the level isn't the most important thing short term. It's injury. He had a really good debut for MK Dons, actually. Came off the bench in the FA Cup against Burnley. A couple of good interceptions, thanks to his pace. A few take-ons in and around the box, some composed passing. It was really an attack where he did best, which is typical of him. Won a couple of corners, went on one storming run through five players before being fouled. More of that would be great. Now, uh, enough about Laird, but really hope he can have a good second half of the season. As Daniel Harris, a friend of the podcast, says when he was making the film about Matt Busby, the people that he spoke to, including Jimmy Murphy Jr., told him that all the Liverpool coaches raved about Ethan Laird as on a similar level to Mason Greenwood. So we'll move on. But MK Dons lost to Burnley on penalties, by the way. Elsewhere, Matt Sunday, former United player, scored for Rotherham in the Cup against Everton. His first senior goal. Good to hear that. Matt's a, a, a lovely guy. Diogo Dallo came on after 54 minutes for AC Milan in a 2-0 win against Torino. James Garner couldn't play for Watford against United, but is doing okay. He's spoken about the, the physical challenges he's facing playing in the Championship. It's a good education for him. He's been put on set pieces as well a few times, which is a testament to his quality, the, the, the quality of his deliveries. It is a hard challenge for him this season but a worthwhile one I think um, the, the physicality is, is a challenge um, Ole Ibrahim who left United in the summer made his debut for Derby in their FA Cup defeat to Chorley he's 17 Teeth Chong made his first appearance of the year for Werder Bremen he may have his loan deal cancelled though because of too few minutes according to reports in Germany they drew 1-1 against Bayer Leverkusen Dylan Levitt has had his loan move cancelled, the Welsh midfielder. He struggled at Charlton through injury um, and a COVID scare and just not making an impact, really. They had good words about his attitude, but he wasn't getting enough game time and there were people ahead of him. Physical difficulties, certainly. Interesting to see where he goes now. It's a, it is a difficult one. A big talent, but he couldn't do it at Charlton. So that's an interesting one to follow. Man United women were set to play Everton in the Women's Super League, but the league has been embroiled in a bit of a COVID scandal. Loads of the players from different teams particularly the top teams, United, City, Arsenal, Chelsea, Everton. Um, They went to Dubai during the winter break and it's led to COVID outbreaks in far too many squads. United's manager, Casey Stoney, arranged a press conference despite the game against Everton being cancelled, still arranged a press conference in order to apologise for letting her players go to Dubai. The game was actually cancelled due to cases in Everton's squad, not United, but the apology was required and it was good to see Stoney do that nevertheless. It has been a bit of a farcical weekend in the WSL, unfortunately. Um, And uh, the the players who have a a huge privilege in being able to play and be able to carry on doing their jobs, which is a a nice one during this difficult time, do have a responsibility, which they they haven't really met. And most of them have apologised for that. So um, I think the, the league will be hoping to move on next week when United do start their 2021 calendar. Right. One one thing we didn't talk about in the first half of the show, um, Darren Fletcher, who has come back to join United as a first team coach. He has been coaching with the under 16s since October, I think, um, completing his coaching badges. I'm I'm a big fan of this appointment. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Fletcher first as a player, then as a person, and then more recently as a pundit, a refreshingly excellent analyst on on TV and radio a genuine wide knowledge and and passion for getting knowledge of the game. And of course, from his playing days, a a winning mentality as well. And this is something we spoke about. I can't remember at what point in this season, but we certainly had a discussion at some point about bringing fresh uh, impetus into the coaching staff. And it's happened. Maybe not the person I, I or not, not, not the person I thought it would be, but not the kind of area I thought it would be. I kind of, when we spoke about that, was suggesting getting someone 
of a similar ilk to Carlos Quiroz who could come in and, and sort United's defence out for Solskjaer. Uh, Fletcher is not that, but I'm a huge fan of it. It, it ticks all of the boxes of, of good person, good player when, when he was a player and someone who seems like he should make a really good coach and everything you hear about him is positive. I'm a big, big fan of this appointment. I, I love Darren Fletcher. He's one of my favourite United players back when I was at school watching that sort of uh, late 2000s United team. I think what is great about him is that exactly the kind of situation we were talking about in the Man City game, Fletcher understands not only how to win games, but how to, to understand the match situation yeah. was one thing he was always brilliant at, at at United. He was so good at sort of understanding what was needed in different parts of the game. And he was a big game player, um, which I think one thing that sort of slipped under the radar a little bit actually is our faltering record against the big teams this season. That hasn't been the case under Solskjaer previously, but hopefully Fletcher will be able to come in and help with a little bit of that. I, I think it, it's a good appointment overall. You know, we don't really know exactly what Fletcher's like as a coach, but everything that we, all the evidence that we have about Fletcher, everything he achieved during his career, the kind of person he is, what he's done as a pundit and, and an analyst since he retired, suggests that this is a great appointment. And I'm really, really happy that he's back in the fold. He, he's been a brilliant servant to the club and I think represents a lot of what Solskjaer is trying to instill in this United team. And, you know, having those kind of coaches around you who, who are examples of what the coaching staff is trying to implement is actually a big deal to have around. Yeah, yeah. You do everything you do here is positive, and and um, something Andy Mitten was saying in in midweek is he's just obsessed with tactics and has a, a real tactical mind. And every game he watches, studies um, United's or the oppositions or whoever it is he's watching their tactics to try and learn more. Um, and someone like that is certainly a, a good addition to the team. And it's an interesting one because it's it's another Sir Alex Ferguson disciple, of course, following. Solskjaer, Phelan, Carrick and now Fletcher and I think more like Sir Alex Ferguson than any of the others a very strong-willed Scott who is uh, excellent at adapting as the game develops you think when Darren Fletcher started as a player and even when Darren Fletcher ended as a player and retired from the game expected goals didn't exist and this is someone who who now from from what we yeah. hear is is kind of well up to date on expected goals and and new statistical models which involve football kind of the the americanization of the statistical side of the game and so he does seem more like Fergie than the others and um a lot of people before this appointment were a, a long time ago thinking about Darren Fletcher as a potential future manager and I guess this is the the first step towards that but yeah overall just just a very good appointment um he was not on the coaching staff bench um for the Watford game I imagine he probably will be for Burnley he was certainly talking um to the players he's already delivered a, a, a session as well in training Burnley's a, an interesting one um and and a big game because we do go top if we win it huge game huge huge game we have a we have a surprisingly good record against Burnley actually since they got promoted a few years ago. It's the kind of game you'd expect that we wouldn't have a great record in, but I've done pretty well against them. But yeah, massively. I think we're all like sort of at a point at the moment where I don't really think that many people, probably outside of the Man United squad, truly believe that we are genuine long term challengers to Liverpool. I think most people, myself included, expect Liverpool to probably get out of this dip in form and probably pull away with us 
sort of a, a relatively distant second. But just even just psychologically, being able to go into the Liverpool game at Anfield next weekend, you know, three points ahead after beating Burnley would be massive. Because then you get a decent result against Liverpool and, and things start to get really exciting. Uh, and, you know, we, we're all trying not to get ahead of ourselves, I think. But even just psychologically, when was the last time Man United were three points ahead or more in a league at this point in the season? It would have been Ferguson's last season. You know, we haven't been anywhere near this. And these were the types of games that Sir Alex Ferguson's teams were so good at winning when this was sort of a, a bit of a nothing game on paper for United um, and just a banana skin, but was sort of everything to that other team. And it was the kind of result that we managed to get against Wolves recently. So it, it, I, I don't think you can really underestimate how important this game is. And, and even just psychologically, it would be massive, massive boost to us if we can go three points clear and then go to Anfield fully in the lead in the Premier League and with a massive opportunity to to do something special. Yeah, yeah, it would be huge. And to be honest, I'm more concerned by City. I think a lot of people have been saying that this in the last couple of weeks. I'm more concerned by City than Liverpool at the moment, purely because City's squad depth is is better than Liverpool's. They have a better squad than Liverpool. Um, they've been hit by injuries less. And to be honest, when they're hit by injuries, I think it, it matters less to City because of that squad depth, but also because... I, th- I think if you had to name City's most important players, it wouldn't be as simple as it is with Liverpool. Obviously, Kevin De Bruyne would, would be immediately up there. Edison would be immediately up there. But with Liverpool, it, it's very simple. You, you go for that front three, Van Dijk, Henderson and Alisson and, and, and the fullbacks. And that, I mean, you're at seven players out of the 11 in the team there. Whereas with City, I think it's De Bruyne. I think this season, Ruben Diaz has been been important and a very good centre-back for them. Um, and beyond that, Kyle Walker's important, Raheem Sterling's important, but they, they are replaceable in the team. So I'm more concerned by City at the moment. Um, I, th- I mean, I City, City also sh- are on, on an upswing as well. You know, haven't started the season pretty yeah, poorly. Now, yeah. look, probably, if we're being honest, probably look like the best team in the league at the moment, given that, despite the fact yeah, our results have been pretty so. good, we haven't played amazingly the last few games. Yeah, I think I, I see them as the favourites for the title. Um, but yeah, I mean, forgetting that conversation about who's favourites for the title, yeah, going to Anfield three points clear at the top of the league would be not only brilliant, but also a very good achievement and just such yeah. a good foundation because it just gives you, it means that you end January as a title contender, no matter what the result is at Anfield. And that kind of that very much puts you in the race and that's all we can hope for is all I hope for is that we're in the race by the end well, of the season I think it to some degree as well win a, a win against Burnley the Liverpool game is always going to be pressurised because of who it's against and the stakes but it reduces the pressure on us in the Liverpool game I think because you know going to Anfield three points ahead you lose and it's not the end of the world you know, obviously we want to win and we want to take some points from the game but if if you lose and you go, and you end up just being back to level yeah. points with Liverpool that's fine you know it's really not not the end of the world but then the opportunity there to go six points ahead potentially is suddenly massive so i think that's why this is such an important game not necessarily just because of the the Burnley game but because of how it sort of changes the yeah. pressure dynamics in, in and we've the, got the a, game we've got a Am- nice Am- tuesday to sunday rest between Burnley and Liverpool. So in terms of resting players, it's, it's a difficult one. I think Fernandes will come back into the team. I think Rashford probably will. Um, 
we'll have to see about Eric Bay, who probably won't be involved. Um, it is a difficult one, I think. So. That, was, that was something strange from the, the City game that didn't mention, the fact that Lindelof started over Bay. Yeah, yeah. I thought Bay had done enough recently to sort of cement that place. Not that Lindelof played badly, um, to be fair, to be clear, but it was just a strange one given that Bay's done so yeah, well recently. Yeah, I agree. I wasn't quite sure on, on the thinking behind that. Um, I guess it yeah might just be do be to do with with making sure Bay doesn't get injured, but it's, it's not that that hasn't gone fantastically well. Um, we're going to record after the Burnley game before the Liverpool game, so here's hoping we win, and that can be a positive one. Looking ahead to a chance to go clear at the top at Anfield, and um, yeah, we'll see then. It, for the new year, we're going to start giving some recommendations at the end of every week. The two things I would recommend you to go and look at after you finish listening to this. One is a, a video of Ian Wright and Classic Football Shirts, where Classic Football Shirts have reunited Ian Wright with his old golden boot and a lot of his memorabilia. It's only a couple of minutes long on Twitter, but it's a, it's a really nice to see. Um, and Ian Wright is it's just such a lovely man. Um, I've actually been listening to his podcast on uh, the Ringer FC as well, Wrighty's House with Musok Wonga and, and those two together are, are fantastic as well. And the other thing is a brilliant article by Tom Jenkins in The Guardian about his experience as a sports photographer, football photographer in the behind closed doors era. Um, it's like a, f- a f- photographic essay uh, and, and sums it all up brilliantly and, and the photos are fantastic too. Um, so I recommend going and, and trying to dig that out. Um, Jack, we'll hear some recommendations from you next week, unless you've got anything um, urgent right now. But other than that, we will leave it and go to our Patreon Q&A. Um, thank you very much for listening, everyone. For more from us throughout the week, you can find Jack on Twitter at... At UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. We're going to go to our Patreon Q&A where we will be answering a question from Ted Popham who says, pick a back four and goalkeeper from all the United players in history to defend the US Capitol building. That will be a, an interesting one to discuss. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Goodbye. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.